Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers from fasterskier.com. This episode has three days worth of recaps for you from the first weekend of this year's World Cup circuit in Ruka, Finland. And we've got a special guest, Canadian world champion and longtime friend of the podcast, Alex Harvey. We'll be back to you in just a minute. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Marty and Kathy Hall and their Hallmark of Excellence Award. Marty and Kathy have been longtime supporters of Faster Skier and the cross-country ski community, and we are grateful to them. Well, we're going to jump right into it. Perfect. Alex needs no introduction. Any, the, the, I, I think our listenership has grown from 7 to 15. Everyone knows Alex is one of my <laughs> best friends in the entire world. Um, and we've had him on quite a bit of times. And I just thought, like, so did Nat. But, like, having Alex just to open the account for the World Cup season is always great. Because this allows us to start off with a bang, and and he's always he's always opinionated, and and there's there's not many people with more experience. I mean, like Alex, I was trying to think about this, like the amount of times combined that you and I have been in Kusumo or like in Ruka, it, it's obscene, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So and 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 then when you watch when you're watching any races, the course doesn't change whatsoever, hasn't changed ever, and no. I can like. I'm old, exhausted. You can hear I've got a little bit of a head cold. I can almost feel viscerally in my whole body at like every moment of that course. It's like, I know exactly how it feels on that steep pitch when they start slipping a little bit, or you see the tracks are like a bit greasy, even though it's cold, you know how that feels and you know how hard it is to get perfect kick. And um, following along the whole weekend is always just kind of funny. There's, I mean, you and I combined have been at every World Cup venue far too many times, but for some reason, Ruka, probably because it's like the World Cup opener all the time. It just has this special feel. I don't know, man. I just feel like I spent my whole life in Ruka for some reason. It's weird. I mean, it's well, a- the, the, thing, the thing is that the days are actually, <clears throat> the daylight time is so short and it starts to make, it makes the, the time goes by slower, I feel like. So I feel like the time is in Ruka because it's always the first World Cup of the season. The days goes by. The days go by slower because you're just like anticipating, waiting for the actual first race of the season to happen to actually have a first real result from the training you've done in the summer. So it's like, yeah, time doesn't go by fast in Ruka. I feel like it. It looks like a place to maybe like bond with your teammates when it's pitch dark at 4 30 but maybe not a place to like really you know feel good about yourself and your fitness <laughs> unless your fitness is really good but and, and here's the it is true but here's the weird thing and alex will agree with me 100 percent. like as much as like the darkness of northern scandinavia just really hurts daddy <laughs> it really like cuts me deep and like, yeah, Ruka is depressing. I mean, but it has also also like when I first went to Ruka, the food in Ruka, man, you cannot believe how bad the food was in Ruka. And then it really improved. Alex, wait, 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 wait. Can we have an example? Oh, I, dude, it's just like everything's white. Like probably the first time Alex was there too it was like you have white boiled potatoes, some mystery white thin fish, maybe a white sauce if you're lucky, and then mm-hmm. iceberg lettuce. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, unseasoned, unseasoned white fish. Yeah, I, yeah, it did improve a lot in the yeah in the last did. like let's say five five seasons of, of our career. 
you know, so I'm, I, I can only assume that it's it's gone, kept getting better, you know, for yeah. the skiers now. No, for sure. I, saw, I mean, like I saw, I saw. I don't know if it's true, but they even have limo limo service now for the podium ceremony. I saw, I saw <laughs> like a, I don't know if it was a Snapchat or something from ML Everson for North. We can talk about that further down, but. Yeah, no, but it's 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 a special. It, it's just kind of weird, man. Like it, I saw that too, Alex. But it, it's a it's a it's a it's a weird place, dude. And um, it, it's just got it's a vibe. I don't know what to say. Like Rook is a vibe, and and the, the funniest part about it is, it's really hard because you're either going up, down, or like flat. Like you're you'll smash some double folding a little bit, but like it, it's so it's a real like capacity course. I feel like like you just have to be in good shape to to hit your you can't be off in Ruka or else you're going to be down on the results list. But that said, it's always so tight in Ruka. Yeah. It's like, because it's yeah. either you're smashing up the hill on a, the flat sections aren't all that long. And really the courses where you can really make time is like gradual climbing terrain. And in Ruka, you're either like climbing quite steep, double pulling for like not long. Yeah. Or, or, or one skating or if yeah. you're is skating yeah. and then, and then you're in a tuck and it's high speed descents. Like it's, it's, it, there's not a lot of places to yeah. make time actually. So, so I'm always so surprised that it, I'm not surprised anymore. Like, but this is a discussion I was about and I have had like ad nauseum that like the, the time gaps in Ruka are just miniature, but it's, um, I think that's the, I think that's the reason, but that said, you got to be in good shape. And when I see people get, like when I see people beat down in Ruka, like Klebo did this weekend or Frida did today, like, man, I am so impressed because it is not easy to do that in, oh. in a place like Ruka. It's not hard to make time, yeah. And, and it feels like there's never that much of a difference on the skis. I, I feel like it's, it seems like it's never a huge difference. And the, the thing I would say is, I agree with you, there's not a lot of long, like gradual terrain, flat sections. But on top of that, when you arrive at the top of a hill, you basically start going down instantly almost. So it's like, it's in training, it's like a very intimidating course because you're just like airy boning up the hill to try to stay in zone one. And then you're going down and up a hill again. But then when you're racing, it actually goes by pretty fast because yeah, it's really hard up the hill, but you're exhausted at the top and you just fall down into a, into a top. So it's, it's kind of a weird, it's like, uh, yeah, it's a, interesting course and it's i think it's one of the course where it's the hardest to to put some seconds on on the competition because of all those factors for sure and i i think we should just jump into the sprint i mean yeah we'll just we'll just do this like our normal ghetto style like we'll just go through the races <laughs> and and have our and have our have a little uh monday morning quarter even though it's sunday sunday afternoon quarterbacking of uh of what we saw let's start with the women's sprint i mean I didn't see a whole lot of surprises, to be honest. That said, I thought it was awesome to see Ribom win. After seeing Ribom win in, in Brooks Valarna and the way she did it in Brooks Valarna last weekend, first World Cup victory, skiing like a total champ, Hogstrom too. Remember, like, Johanna was dropped off the Olympic team last year. It was a bit controversial because she had such a great season last year. Yeah. Comes in with a great sprint as well. And, like, let's be honest, we're talking about the women's sprint for people trying to keep up with us. <laughs> <laughs> and and in third place, like it was uh Tyrell in the Svang. But that said, it's hard to say. Like Dahlquist is on the podium. That's a Swedish sweep. If Dahlquist, Dahlquist could just stand. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think Dolphins. Wins. I agree. Yeah, you got to stay. You got to stay in your seats. He's to win. I agree. But it, she looked freaking good, man. Like that was oh, yeah. that was an incredible, incredible Swedish dominance, and we've seen that for years now, um, of course. But but uh, I, I thought just the way they were skiing through all the rounds. They're, they're, they're looking super strong. Their angles are great. And, and it's the upper body. I mean, the way that they're able to produce power, all the Swedish women, if you look at their angles, if you look at their shoulders and just the way they're able to keep it on the big muscles, on, especially on the flat terrain, we can get into the climbing too, but, but man, they, they, they're just so solid. The women are so solid from Sweden and, and it's not surprising to me whatsoever to see two out of three on the podium. With, yeah. with, uh, with both, um, Jonas Sundling and Lin Svan still at home waiting to come and, you know, smash the rest of the top five uh, later this winter. So that's, you know, for anyone who's hoping for a reprieve from Swedish women's dominance, uh, take a five-year nap. Yeah, Yeah, no, that was a good point. Those are arguably their two two best sprinter are are still at home. And I was, I agree with you, Devin, like it was really interesting to see the last 200 meter stretch when you, you come up that big hill, then you hit the flat stadium. Then you hit that that corner, forty five degree corner. Then the finishing stretch. And I think it was in the semis. Like the Swedish women would, they just went around like two Norwegian girls. I don't know if it was in the first or second semi, but so easily. And you can really tell like they they really work purely on sprinting and purely on their sprinting ability. And it really shows when when it, when it matters. Like which is at the very end of each round. And I was. I was impressed also, like, she wasn't on the podium, but um, Ski Stout, she's still really young, and she struggled the last two, three, really, she struggled since the Seyfeld World Championship when she was, was like, a really big standout, like, coming out uh, kind of thing for her. Uh, she was really strong in Bido Stolen, and she, yeah, I, I thought it was a kind of a, it's a sign that she's she's back, and she's going to be, she looks like she's going to, She's ready for a good season. Yeah, I know for sure. And I've got to like, like with Shestad, for sure, like you said, she was a junior in Seyfeld. And if she hadn't yeah. fallen in her semifinal, I mean, you were there racing and I was commentating yeah. with Eurosport. I mean, those were top conditions. It was super warm. It was super slushy. And a lot of top names fell in the, especially in the women's sprint. There's a lot of people hit in the deck there. And well, Shestad was Dahl one of them. Yeah, Dahlquist was like biffed it. And uh, like another guaranteed podium really that went up yeah. in smoke. But um Shestad's really struggled, you know, after her junior, she was world junior champion in the sprint that same season and also quite good in distance races at world juniors for her age uh, and made the move from the junior team, the Norwegian junior team to the, to the recruit team. And the recruit team just like mur- <laughs> murdered her. Like they, they trained way too much. They increased the volume and the intensity in all the sessions. And she's, she's a bit of an outspoken star too, you know, like she's not afraid to say what she means. And there was some conflicts between her and the coaching staff, and she wasn't really believing what they were doing. But at the time in that era, which is not that long ago, a few years ago, there was no real room. There was no real room to to make it your own, which, which, which is kind of strange because in the whole Norwegian philosophy, that's really a big part of Norwegian national team philosophy is that you kind of like still work with your personal coaches a bit. You come together for camps for sure, but you're always allowed to say what you mean and adjustments seem to be happening all the time. But it, but in that era of the recruit team, that was not happening. And she wasn't alone in being a, a big talent that just crashed and burned. And this year, I agree with you, Alex, like this year in fifth and in Bite of Stolen, 
this is a totally different athlete. And if Norway can get her firing on all cylinders for sprints with, with Tiro being in such good shape so early here, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like a silver lining. We, we were talking a lot about how the Norwegian women could be like, oof, let's see how this goes. Like there's a lot of question marks here, but you know, you, you see her twin sister coming eighth in the, in the sprint and you see like Stenseth that qualified first in ninth. I mean, it was a pretty solid outing. It was a pretty solid outing for the Norwegians given, given the history. And I, I want to give a shout out to Julia Kern because I know in classic, sometimes it can be really up and down and her qualification wasn't anything to write home to mom about, I mean, like 23rd, but you know, it doesn't matter as long as you're top 30, you're in, we've all seen that so many times. I thought she was skiing super well. I thought she was skiing really heads up too. And um, to make the semifinal in Ruka in a classic sprint, uh, I think it's I think it shows real promise for Julia. It's a it's a great start to the season for her. And, and you saw how other top names. And I know I know that Jesse isn't great in classic uh, when she's not on a hundred percent form. And she made some tactical tactical errors out there for sure, almost falling and, and getting all chopped up. And you know how that goes, Alex. Space is limited yes. in that sprint. Oh, yeah. But uh, finished 23rd, and I, I don't know, you know, we didn't get to see a whole lot of Jesse on, on TV or anything, but what, what I did see of her in the sprint was not great in the qualifier and just, like, rushing her take. Just, just not in great shape. I mean, yeah, today, like Jessie, in, the, in classic. Like Jesse gets better as the season goes on. Totally. Especially totally. after Christmas. She's never been a Christmas star, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's not. And the last thing, like, just to say, finish with Julia, I, I think it was – like new, really good and new equipment too. She changed on, she's on atomic now and it's always hard to find the perfect uh, balance between high speed for a sprint and enough grip for that big uphill and crucible early season. So it's also a good, it's a good thing to, to get that done and to check that box, to be confident with your equipment moving on for the rest of the season. My observation from, you know, both this women's sprint and kind of everything we saw this weekend was like the Americans, like there were flashes of of brilliance and they just kind of looked like this was their first weekend over in Europe, which it was, yeah. you know, it is. I think, you know, you can't expect peak performances a week after you show up and, you know, that was the choice they made this year and it doesn't leave them looking like winners on the first weekend of the year, but you don't necessarily want to look like a winner on the first weekend of the year. So no, exactly. and the other, and the other thing too, and this is Alex and I have been in this situation a lot as well. Um, although we both performed actually pretty good in Kusumo. I think the course suited us actually, but, but regardless, um, what I'll say is, is it's a huge advantage for smaller countries. And we've talked about this prior, but like the U S especially big stars like Jesse, I mean, it's not an advantage if you want to win the overall World Cup, but it kind of is now because they changed the whole point scoring system that like, I mean, as long as you're kind of in the game, like the points you get, you score points down to 50th and you know, if you're down around 10th and stuff, you're still scoring like an insane amount of points. It goes like 195, 90, not 85, 80. Like, I mean, you're barely losing points uh, now. And it used to be a hundred for the win, 80 for second, 60 for third and then 50 for fourth. So, so, you know, for Jesse to be just kind of like in the mix, she's not even losing that much ground to like a, a Frito Carlson or, or a Dahlquist or whatever in the overall, a little bit of ground, but not, not a, not a ton. But what I was going to say, and I, I know Alex agrees with me, and this is a huge advantage of a smaller country, especially when you're good in a smaller country is you do not have to like fight for your start rights at the world cup. Like Norway does Russia when they were not banned 
um, Sweden, even it's the women for sure. I mean, but, uh, you know, like these big nations, even, even like a central European nation in the past, you know, Germany, the countries that don't have a whole lot of start stop spots, like, like, uh, Norway does. You, you look at Emma Lieberson's weekend here, which was by all intents purposes, horrendous. And now like, it could be like, welcome to the Norwegian cup. You know, I think you'll get chances in the next weekends, but you, you just, these top teams have to come out firing on all cylinders. And that's a huge advantage for Jesse. And I think we talked about the last week, Matt, but like the fact that Jesse didn't do a pre, pre, um, like a kind of tune up race for the world cup. I think it's good for someone like Jesse that just seems to hit like every race all year long. You, you got to save your juice somewhere. And, and Jesse has, Jesse has a real chance to win an individual gold medal. And that should be like, the, she's already won the overall world cup. She has medals at championships. She has gold medals in team events at championships, uh, both the worlds and the Olympics. And now like the icing on the cake is to take an individual gold. Then Alex can attest like in our sport. I mean, like taking an individual gold medal at a championship, man, like that's the, that's the pinnacle of our sport. It is. Oh, yeah. So, it is. Yeah. No, so, I don't think there's an issue to start the season with. Yeah, without exactly. Being firing on all cylinders as long as you, you have the, the support of the team to, to keep going for the next and the next weekend. Yeah. Someone that is firing on all cylinders, men's sprint, Johannes Klebo, you know, a lot of uncertainty with his injury, uh, spent like did something like what, what I found it fascinating actually, is he, he really has moved from not doing altitude in his career when he was younger because he, but he, but he actually had a real good reason for it. He's like, I, I have things to gain. I'm not good enough training at home in low altitude. I have, I'm making a lot of gains and I don't think my body is stable enough to, to reap the benefits. The risk reward, the risk reward system is just not looking good for me to do it. I, and when he feels like he's maximized that he's really jumped full, full scale into believing in altitude. And not only that this year, I was really fascinated. He, he did like, it was 20, I forget. It was like 23. It was three weeks. Anyways, over three weeks. I think it was like 23 days in, in park city. And then he came home. And went to to Lavinio very yeah. soon after for 24 days, which is which is a distance runners altitude plan. That's how distance runners do it. Is they spend like like or cyclists as well. Well, they'll well, they'll spend like huge blocks of time in altitude. And he, I was very curious how it was going to go. And then he has this hamstring injury that was was plaguing him. I mean, I mean, plaguing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always yeah, yeah. It's hard to my bike. Exactly. For sure. But regardless of the situation, the Norwegian national team, especially on the men's side, both sprint and distance has moved away from altitude in the last two years, which is bananas because they're getting a lot of critique from their own sports science staff, uh, ex-athletes that are at the pinnacle of of like like the legends of Norwegian skiing have been critical of of the direction of the Norwegian team. And Klebo is just like, I believe in this. I'm going for it. And of course, it, you can't say it's the altitude that's paying off for him. But regardless, he, he looked great in the sprint, as as yeah. we'd expect. But um, yeah, it's just like when when he's on, like he is right now. If you're a kid and you want to study someone technically, yeah. Yeah. it's perfect skiing. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> Classic or skating uphill, yeah. flat, yeah. downhill. Like he makes yeah. his skis look so fast in the downhills. Yeah, and yes, in classic, he, he can go. He can get away with a bit shorter kick zone, but it's not just the skis. He just so good. He, he holds his tuck so well. He corners so well. He stays in the draft 
until the very last second. Then he, he slips out. Like he's he's good on every terrain, any technique. He's just perfect. Like he's and I yeah. agree with you. And until he, he reached that level, there was no there's no there was no point for him to to start doing altitude and start risking it. But also one thing you didn't talk about Beijing Olympics, the Norwegian men's team in distance struggled. And I, oh, I think the altitude was a big factor. I don't think they did enough altitude training prior to those games. And you you think Claybo, of course, like the sprint, it's never a guarantee, but it was almost a lot for him, both the sprint, sprint and the team sprint. But the other events, even the men's relay, like the men's were not performing at the level they should have been. And I think that that was one of the reasons why Claybo decided, okay, I need to figure that altitude training out because Planitza is not that high, but it's a bit of altitude. And it's just the, yeah, it's it's good training for an endurance athlete, even for racing at sea level, altitude training does pay out. So, Of course, because the margins are so thin. The margins yeah. are thin. And especially when you have a culture like the Norwegian, the Norwegian team kind of wrote the book on altitude training that, that yeah. professional cycling teams use the research that has been done in Norway, <laughs> Norway yeah. and, and implement that. And, and um, anyway, but he, he looks great. And I mean, if you're a young skier and you want to see someone in slow-mo and just watch videos over and over and over, you can't get a better out. He's changed the game. And I, I thought it was hilarious. He didn't even have to do his textbook run punch it on the hill like he always does to crush he, he just skiing away from people perfectly yeah. tracks looking yeah. like gorgeous yeah. yeah i was incredibly impressed and actually like moved i i know evan ortega a little bit and and just the way the way he's had his poise it's been a long time coming for this guy he's got a famous last name his brother won a world cup and made the final when you were on the podium in 2015 like, yeah well man yeah. petter's a legend i was yeah. talking about thomas but okay. i mean like like Petter's a total legend and yeah. it took a while for, for Evan to really like, you know, mature as an athlete and also like take, take this sport seriously. I know he struggled a little bit with like motivation to, to do the work necessary. He saw what his brother did. I mean, Petter trained like a wild man when, when he was a younger athlete. Yeah. And, and I think in, in a lot of ways, Evan was almost like intimidated to, to put the work in to, to do it. And the last few seasons he has put the work in and he looked, like he won Munio with a with a good field. He won in by the stolen with it with it obviously probably one of the best fields you can get. And then yeah. second place on the sprint in Kusumo to open his account. It's a classic sprint in Planitza. Beats guys like Volnis and, and Paul Goldberg. Like this, this is these are this is a huge sprint. He looked yeah. amazing. Paul Paul looked great too. It's cool to see Paul back in action. And then all weekend this, long. yeah, all weekend Paul. long. We'll get we'll get to that. But he yeah. looked he looked awesome too. Skating classic. Yeah. But uh, Valmis and fourth. I mean, it, he looks solid. He, he, you know, he, he's, he, he burnt them. He burnt a match a little too, little too hot in the fall here and had to, he missed by the stolen because he felt like he was missing form or just beat down, not missing form, but just like feeling a little too tired. So this is Valmis feeling a little flat. I think he was pretty, looking pretty damn good. Yeah. And, and this whole podcast has one theme, Alex, and it's like the Devin Kershaw, Callie Halverson apology to her because. Yeah. Callie Halverson all weekend was amazing. In the classic sprint, he finished fifth, but dude, yeah. he looked good, man. He had a tough oh, qualification. He, he had a tough qualification, but in all the yeah. rounds, I was like, I'm watching a Callie Halverson from five years ago. Yeah. And the fact yeah, that yeah. he's turned turned around what has been like a, 
a transport truck transporting cow manure on fire for the last <laughs> two, three seasons to the kind yeah. of racing he's been doing here. Like, oh, yeah. dude, the sprint looked amazing. And I think like fifth place with the with the heavy hitters like they were, he was right in there. I mean, I thought it was oh, great. Yeah. And Chapaz, that's pretty dude, cool too. That's pretty cool French? for the young French. Yeah, dude, born in 99. And, and to yeah. make the final in Customo, pretty amazing. I mean, like there's big names that didn't didn't make the final. I mean, you got oh, Pellegrino, Juve, Tugboat. Like they don't even make the Shanava, final. Shanava, yeah. Shanava, yeah. yeah well, exactly. and, and classic, like the French, it's always harder for them in classic. They, they just somehow naturally perform better in skating. Historically, always have, probably always will. Uh, so I'm always impressed when I see a French in the final. And a young guy like this, in it's 23. Just so 23. Yeah. 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 It's so like that up there, you need to know how to hit your pocket and just explode out of it every stride. He was so strong. I was really impressed. It's good. Like the French sprint program has delivered in the past couple, like past few 10 years. years. Like, 10, 10 years, man. Like so at least. They have so many different guys now that have been able to reach the either the podium or at least the final, like it's, it's impressive. And, it's and they're really, not all, they're not all like crazy talents. Like they're not all like world junior champions. Like they're guys that they developed through the program. Although I'm not sure. I think Chapaz might be. <laughs> he's a world junior <laughs> he's champ. He's, he's under 23 champ, champ too. He's but, under 23 but, world but champ like, too. But. Juve and Chanava and uh, Renaud Jay, like these guys were not, were not like as good juniors as they are seniors now. So uh, it's impressive the development that they were able to to do like they yeah and totally. with Alverson then I agree with you and same apology with me like last year I remember reading that he was trying to focus on the 50k and I was like why dude like you've always been a great sprinter you're a great 15k skier shorter distance master you can do it just stop focusing on the 50k like that's not what you are so it's good to see him back. But the one thing is, and I think it's something that we've lived a lot throughout our career, we qualified a lot of days between 35 and 31st. And if you throw in a couple of Russians in the, in the game, he, like Alverson's not qualifying. No, and it's true. The type, the top, that means like in a normal field, he's probably 35th. It's still good enough to make it to the final. So it shows that. The sport, like sprinting, it's it's a hard game, man. Like the qualifier, it's of course guys like Playboy or you know Goldberg can take qualifier for granted, but it's it's tight out there, and, and it's it's an interesting to see like the difference between a qualifier and then sometimes it's harder to make it through the quarters than through the semis, depending on your physiology and everything. And I thought like we're done with the girls, but it was kind of the same with Dogface. Like she didn't look good at all. In her in her quarters and her semis, even in a qualifier for her, but then in the final before she crashed, it's like things were clicking. So sprinting and cross country skiing is a very very interesting discipline, and I think uh, that result from Alverson shows. Yeah, I just I just really love whenever I see Halverson skiing like in any of these races and skiing well, I just think that all that's going through his head is fuck that guy, Devin Kershaw. Like <laughs> I'm going to show him what I'm actually capable of. Um, and yeah. I, and I, uh, I also just wanted to, um, make sure that, you know, people who did not watch this race, you should Google Jules Chapaz, check out that mustache. It, it is a 
it is a thing of real beauty. And I, I did want to also point out about him. He gave absolutely everything he had to make sure that he was first place and not second place in his semi. I don't yeah. know if you guys saw that, but he was like, going, yeah. I was like, dude, slow down. Like, yeah. Good. And no, then but him at the end of that final, just looking absolutely gassed and yeah. Know, 23 he's gonna have a lot more opportunities than oh, so yeah. Kind of yeah. yeah yeah but you know what i think is good about that you know what honestly because i think there's a we're gonna get into the distance races here soon too and i, I think there's like there's a lesson in that i like the fire man i like the fire of a young athlete it's like i am taking a spot in the final like i'm not gonna try and squeak in and the lucky loser and try and Play it all and you saw him like fist pumping like oh yeah 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 i loved it it's like i loved it too yeah totally. that's his win he's more yeah. stoked than claymore winning the final totally and, you know, and, you know, yeah exactly he's 50, <laughs> yeah. World Cup wins. but like yeah. he's 26 years old but, yeah. but the thing is I, I i i while it might not have been the best on the day i agree with you nat like you know and finally was a bit gassed but man that's how you get good is oh, you yeah. take no prisoners and you want it. And I like to see young athletes, especially from Central Europe or Canada or the US, like want it and take it. Man, I'm inspired. I was super inspired. Another performance before we go to the distance race, because this is a name that comes back up, because not just the Cali Halverson apology tour we're doing, the Swedish men, man, like Edvin Anger, 12th place in the sprint. Another guy that Alex would, would agree, he, he's not going to make the heats if the Russians are there. He's qualified in 27th. But got himself yeah. to the semi, and you saw the shape that he's in in the in the distance races. We'll come back to him, but he's born in 2002. I mean, the guy's 20; he's a first year senior. Yeah. Like this is this is this is impressive, and I think the Swedish men in general, like I mean, they they really delivered a, a fantastic weekend in in Ruka, and better than they've been in years. And if they can continue, honestly. yeah, oh, way better than expected. And yeah. if they can continue this mode, this, this kind of like trajectory. Now, all of a sudden, we have some of these young guys. There's a 16-year-old we talked about last year, Mirbeck, uh, who is who's like just a beast. He was like on the podium in Brooksalana for the senior events. He's 16 years old. So like, yeah. this is crazy. So there is talents in the, in the pipeline, but I just wanted to put out anger. I think, I think it was uh, much needed. And, and especially if, if we're going to have Norwegians all over the top like we do in here, man, we need Sweden to pick up their socks. And they, and they are. And then I thought that was good. So let's move on to the 10Ks. What do you think about the women, Alex? The 10K Classic. I thought it was... Uh, Swedish yeah. domination. I mean, yeah. as sort of as expected in, in one way. Uh, but just like, you know, 10Ks is a short race and it's it's a big gap between the two Swedish girls. And I mean, we saw it in the pursuit. Like, you know, they, it wasn't... Nobody could, could come back to the top two. So yeah, just domination from, from the two Swedish girls. Uh, Exciting to see Henning too on the podium. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's not easy for the for the Norwegian women. I think it's not going to be easy in distance this year. Uh, but and and new names too, like the best Norwegian Anna Shursti, Didrik's girlfriend. It's it's good to see. Uh, and it's not like she's a really really young athlete coming into the scene. Like she's kind of always was on the bubble on maybe recruit team development team making it to the national team this year after a really good season last year and being the best Norwegian woman in distance. Uh, good to see. But again, you know, fourth place in Norway, it's it's not cutting it for them. And I think it's going to be a, a hard season for, for the Norwegian uh, women's distance team because, uh, yes, Swedish girls are really strong and 
Jesse's not firing on all cylinders yet. So once she is, that's, you know, quite often another spot on the podium taken. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I agree with that. I think, I think too, like just coming back with the women, I, I, the, the Swedish women, while on paper, it's not a shock. Ebba Anderson has so many podiums on the World Cup and she has one victory prior in her whole career. And you know what that victory was? Climbing Alpstermis, which is like, yeah. yeah, you won, but it's your your best time. Like she didn't win the tour. You know what I mean? It, it was like, yeah, it's like time of day kind of thing. So to win in an individual start, and I mean, I'm old school. So, you know, that's fine. You can call me old school all day long. I don't have a win in an individual start race on the World Cup. and Man, to win an individual start classic race, it doesn't get big. That's cross-country skiing. And, yeah. and to beat the likes of Frida Carlson, who we saw the kind of form Frida Carlson was in on, on Sunday today. Uh, I mean, impressive. But like you said, Henning, do you have a German on the podium? Always good. Like you said to you, Alex, just to echo. Anna Shearsty, I'm, I'm so impressed. I mean, think about how heartbreaking it is. Like you said, Alex, had a great season last year. Made the Olympic Games as like a later senior, you know, she's not, like, she's not 20 anymore. Gets COVID gets yeah. left off the Olympics. Her season's done and comes back to win back-to-back races in, in Bida Stolen. But then there's all these question marks like, yeah, but how are the Norwegian women with, with uh, Teresa retired now? And like, are they even any good? Yeah, they are pretty good. Like Anna Shirsty to be fourth, only 0.2 seconds from a podium. Amazing. She beats Parmakowski. She beats Heidi. She beats Rosie. Rosie had a solid race in seventh. Rosie's always super solid the last few years before Christmas, but but still, like I think Anna Shearsty beating Rosie quite handily shows that she's in great shape. And then Dahlquist again, man. Dahlquist in eighth in distance. And this is coming back to what Nat was saying earlier about about Sundling. If you start getting Sundling, like we saw her last year, like Holman Colon and stuff, if you start getting Sundling and Dahlquist skiing distance, like they're skiing distance. This is lights out. Like this is well, this is a dynasty. Boring. Oh yeah, totally. It's going to be like the men's Norwegian relay. Well, it's yeah. And, but and then, yeah, it seems like she changed a bit of training to be better in distance. And as you grow older, you kind of you have to do that because you slow down a little bit. You know, you're not going to be a sprinter till the end of your day. So you have to slowly transition into distance. It works better than it works better for some than others. Um, but no, dude, the the, the Swedish women's team is is going to be really hard to beat in, in team events for the next couple of years. I oh, do yeah. also want to echo what Devin said about, I mean, the Norwegian women actually looking pretty good. I mean, and then you saw them t- in today's mass start race. Like, I don't know if you kind of caught like in that chase pack, it was like a wall of red. It looked like the Russian men, you know, normally racing in like a mass start. They were just, it was all Norway for a, a chunk of that 20k. I also wanted to say, I mean, I know women are always racing 10ks, but both in this race and the men's 10k, which we'll get to in a second, these were really exciting, tight totally. races to watch with like race, uh, with like leads going back and forth and and kind of a little bit of collapses here and there. I just I really enjoyed watching these races. I will also go on a 30-second rant here that that the traditional this absolute garbage fire of television production persisted here i don't know if you guys noticed just like some of the decisions being made by the producers and maybe i'm hypersensitive but like you're cutting away from you know call uh, the tr- like coming in for maybe third place but maybe not because she's point two down to hennig 
you you cut away to I don't know Feindrick like finishing fifth or something and I'm like have you guys heard of a picture in picture like are we are we modern here or are is this just some dude that you brought in from like a Finnish beer hockey league television production it it is absolutely embarrassing I don't think we need to spend 20 minutes on this but I just what a way to start like trashing really great storylines unnecessarily. It just it makes me so mad and I will continue to call it out until it stops. No, but it's yeah, true. It's true. You say, yeah, and in individual starts, it'd be Alex and I have been talking about this for 15 years. Like if you don't have good directors in the truck calling who to follow, you, you cannot be missing these duels that are 0.2 seconds from each other for a podium like you you it's just unacceptable to miss miss those things you've got to be following it so i'm like i'm like i'm like i'm taking notes i have like these notes sticky notes and i just have all caps here like i don't want to watch volness be 15 seconds down stick with fucking porima and Kala halverson like yeah. what are you guys yeah. doing it's like all yeah. kinds yeah. of stuff like that yeah exactly no but it's true it's, it's a good point i hope i hope it improves and it'll it'll improve in norway but you, you the reason i'm not saying that because i live here or whatever it's because the people in the truck in norway love skiing so they know they they know the they know the game just like when you're walking watching an nhl game the commentators uh, on like hockey night Canada and stuff are good because it's they're like they live, eat, and breathe this stuff. But uh, no, as I agree, it's a it's a fair point, Nat, and we'll keep calling it out. One thing I want to say before we move on to the men, Catherine Stewart Jones, twenty fourth yeah. place, great race, really great race, and it's such a tight group. You know what I mean? Like if you look about, like she was only, I mean, she's a second, one point two seconds from Diggins, who is twenty first, and we've talked already about Diggins and Classic when she's not in her perfect shape, but but still, this is a I great race. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Totally. And beating beating Martin like Martin Tolso too. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And Foss's home. Like this was a this was a super, super solid race by uh by Catherine. I think it's really good for for our Canadian women's team. You know, Daria and Olivia, like they struggled this weekend, no question. It was it was a not good marks for the, the Canadians all around. And this was a big bright spot for for the squad, uh, seeing seeing Catherine ski so well today was amazing. Yeah. But but in the classic race, I really wanted to, to give a shout out there because I thought it was uh, it was really high level racing. Now we yeah. got to get to the men's and the men's. Okay, like you said, Nat, just I'm just echoing. I mean, yeah, it's a wall of Norwegians. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but but it's tight. And I'm gonna like, the beat well, it's down. Tight. It starts the, from second from place. from second from, first, from second. It's, it's ridiculous, like. Yeah. Gaps in Kusumo. Yeah. Go ahead. This was crazy. No, no, but no, you're going to get on it. And I'm going to let you just run with this, Alex. But like, I don't think people understand what you witnessed. The the conditions were fast. It was like minus eight, minus seven, minus eight, glazing tracks like it always is in Kusumo. The race takes 21 minutes and 46 seconds. And Klebo beats everyone down to submission by winning by over 20 seconds. And this is. If you see how he raced the last 1.6 kilometers of that race, the time he was putting into people, it makes you question, like, how much did he put into that first lap? I mean, like, I think his first lap could have been zone three for him, honestly. I mean, it's hard to judge how much he's hurting because he just skis so beautifully. It's unbelievable. But 20-second win... It was it was crazy, and I'll let Alex just go run wild with that. Yeah. Before we before we do, I just want to I just want to say behind like just to echo what you said, Alex. Behind him, awesome race. So many storylines. People were close, 
And I'll come back to that in a second. But Alex, let, yeah. let's try and tell the, the 17 no, but, listeners like what yeah. what this means, like how good a performance that was. I think it was yeah. one of his best races of all time, honestly. Yeah, well, I think so. I mean, he didn't even empty it because he would have been hearing the splits of the, the time the, the, the lead he'd had. But the thing is, on the first couple of shots you see him in the race, I agree with you, man. I think he was going zone three. He's, he's so relaxed. He's looking so relaxed. His upper body, the shoulders are down. He's like striding glide, striding glide, just like accelerating over the top of the hill when he needs to. And he's still hitting the green with like 0.5, one second, a few seconds. And then in the last third of the race, and it's only 10 kilometers, early season before Christmas like that, everybody's in good shape. It's so hard to put time on your competition at that time of year on the course in Kusumo, like you said, where skis don't usually make that much of a difference. And I mean, the guys he's putting time on have the same prop, same skis as him, like they're Norwegian guys. So to put 20 seconds in a 10K classic in Kusumo is just ridiculous. It's I agree with you, man. I think it's it's one of his best performance ever because it's so much time to put on guys and making it look easy. Making it look like he had probably 10 or 15 seconds extra in him, which is huge in a 10K. It's, it's, yeah, it's just crazy. And he looked the same today to the extent that like he started in that, in that pursuit race and the announcer that was going on um, ski and snowboard live at the, you know, and and my reaction was the same was like, Oh, he's just like going, you know, really slow pace to let the pack catch him. And then you're like, no, it actually took them like two or three laps of Holland, like absolutely drilling it. I mean, it's, yeah, I I don't need to add that much, but it's a, it's a thing of, but the thing is, like Claybo, the thing is when you watch a race, usually they're going to be filming the uphills because it's like more exciting. Claybo races kind of like the way Narto used to and, and me to a certain extent, he takes it, takes it down a notch on the uphills, but then on any other sorts of terrain, he just goes so much faster than anybody else. And you don't see that in the camera on the camera. So in the pursuit, today and it would have been the same in, in the classic race on the flat and in the downhills he's going so much faster and not spending that much energy because his technique is so efficient so he can actually in the first lap of that classic race he's hitting the split station in the lead not by much but going so slow and easy on the climbs but he's still making time on the rest of the, the terrain and then when he starts opening it on the climbs then all of a sudden he wins a 10k by 20 seconds. It's insane. You, you and you saw the exact I was I actually re-watched that sprint final this morning because I was like, you know, just how does he do that? Like, where does he do it? it, it the exact same thing you're talking about in that it, it they they come up to the to the top of that little hill there and then they make like a um a U-turn basically. And you see Clybo like leading out this like pack of dudes up this little hill and they're all together. And then they like, he takes like three steps, goes ar- around and starts going down the hill. And all of a sudden there's just like a 10 meter gap. And, and you're just like, where, how did he do that? Where did he do that? It's, it's so elegant and graceful and, yeah. and, and, and he does it so quickly that I don't know. I mean, if I'm any of those guys, I think he, you know, just would make you want to give up. Yeah. yeah no, but but he goes wider. I noticed yeah. that during the sprint, he goes wider in that corner. So everybody's trying to go for the shorter distance. The shortest distance is the inside line. You get kind of bunched up. A lot of guys crashed and girls during the sprint. He goes wider 
and generate so much more speed over that downhill, which that downhill is not steep at all. So it's the gravity won't help you to generate speed. It's whatever you give at the top of the hill is what you'll get in the downhill. And to me, I remember, I remember seeing a photo of Matt Whitcomb put on Twitter from World Champs in Oberstdorf a few years ago. And it's, it's the sprint qualifier. Every guy, you see the ski tracks in a corner. Everybody goes the shortest line, like the shortest distance inside. And you have one track that's like two meters wide outside taking the longest line. And he's like, guess who's, guess who's ski marks it is. And it was Claybo. And back then he was winning qualifiers by like five seconds. It's not always using the shortest distance that makes you go the fastest around the course. And he knows that better than anybody else. Sometimes the snow is faster. In the case of Kusamu, it just allows you to generate more speed over the hill. But it's all those little details that add up. Claybo just masters them better than anybody else does now. And I think in history, better than anybody else has. So I that's agree. why he's so good. No, I, I, I totally agree. I agree. I, I, other notable performances, and there was two, they're Swedish men, and I'm going to really sing their praises. Like, I mean, Cali in fourth, just a fantastic race. He's five seconds from the podium, and Niang is firing on all cylinders. He looked great. But Halverson looked really good. Musgrave in fifth, best class race of his entire life. That was awesome to see. It's great for the program. We had him on the pod a couple of weeks ago, and you know, it's been, it has been a very difficult season for them, funding and, and being a lot alone for him, not many camps. Great to see him firing in all cylinders too. But two guys, Porama in ninth and Calais in fourth. If you watched that race really like focused and you saw how they attacked, this is the other thing that has frustrated me about Calais in the last like four years, five years is like back in the days before Christmas when he would win World Cups, like we saw him, he would be aggressive and he'd be like wanting it and fighting and being in the lead and just like, like charging. You know what I mean? And then, he lost his mojo completely, wasn't charging, getting killed, dropping out. Like, what is happening? Both those guys, man, Poroma and, and Halverson went for the podium and they raced for the podium from the first stride. And if you look at how Poroma was climbing those hills, especially early laps, so light, low shoulders, great angles. Yeah, he's doing like Claybo running, but that's the, welcome to cross-country skiing in 2022. If you think you're going to have people just like striding and gliding like Erling Yevna, forget it. Like the, the way they were attacking the course really inspired me. And I'm like, these guys come to Kusmo and they're like, no, we're here to hit the podium. And that's what we're going to do. Both of the guys, both, even Calais, who is like really close to the podium, they both fell apart in the last three, 3.3. They did compared, especially compared to what Claybo did. They didn't, they weren't as quote unquote disciplined, but I think this serves well for both those guys moving forward. Like that's how you get good. That's how you get good at the tour. That's how you come to the championship, like with the mental stamina to be like, this is how you race. I freaking charge and the days will come. Both those guys are talented enough that it's going to come together, man. And, And I was really impressed with both those guys. And then of course, Bruger, I wanted to like wait, give wait, a wait, shout wait, out no. To I, I, can I just can I really quick? I sure, mean, yeah, I, jump in. Is your, this is your annual reminder that Paroma, uh, you know, Cal Halverson is like he's an old guy. He's my age, but Paroma is twenty one. Yeah, uh, so it. we're gonna be watching love that guy for like fifteen years. And I so love him. Like, I just, I, 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 everyone that listened to this podcast knows how much I love Paroma. Man, like the guys are awesome, and he is the hope for Sweden, and he's gonna carry the team. But how I saw him race today 
don't look at the result. Look at how we look at how he charged and how he and, and, and his technique too. Look at where his hips are. When he when he when he kicks, because like Alex can attest to this, we had to make that adjustment, you and I. Like you couldn't classic ski like we did 15 years ago. We had to make the adjustment to Claybo. And the only way to make your skis like get any purchase is you have to have such high hips. You have to have your weight directly under the ball of your foot. And that's easier in these lighter courses. It is very difficult in Kusumo when it's so bitching steep. And like it's it's not locker. It's it's greasy in Kusumo, even though it's cold. It's weird. Yeah. No, no, it's it was really impressive. And you good like Bruger, you talked briefly about it. Yeah, but good awesome. to see him and mock like two young yeah. German guys in the top 15. Yeah. It's good for the sports. Like Germany is a big market for sponsors for TV. We need them to be back in the fight and the interest has to come back to the TV viewers in Germany. So the girls are the girls are there. Uh, I think the guys are getting back. It's good to see. Yeah, you, uh, and it's, it, it is. It is like I want to harp on this a little bit because like I've been critical of Germany, especially like the men's program for since like Teichmann essentially because in anger because they were the best in the world for like a long stretch. But it is cool to see that these guys are taking advantage of, of the Russians being gone. Let's, let's call yeah. it a spade a spade. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Bruger's eighth place is probably 13th if the Russians are there. And then it's like, okay, cool. You were 13th. Like that's a big difference from top 10, but they're taking advantage. And again, he was bib 11 and he charged too, because they followed him quite a bit. And I like the aggressive, the, the aggressiveness of Bruger out there. And that's, what's been lacking with a lot of these central European nations. Not not the French like the the, the guys like Clement Paris and stuff. They always charge like they kind of have a culture of charging in distance races. But but these other countries like Italy and, and Germany specifically and some of the Swiss too. Like other than Dario, you know, like just too passive. And I I thought it was cool to see in Ruka these guys. So it great great storylines like you said. Really forgettable day for the Canadian men. I want to touch on that. I, the whole weekend was they got a mark of a D. This yeah. was not good. And they also have a great opportunity with the Russians not being there. And they had such great races last year in, uh, in Ruka. So they had high hopes. I mean, it sucks for Tony who's, who's not feeling well. So I had to step over the, the races. That's always tough for him, but Olivier, he's a senior now he's, he's second year senior. So we're not, I'm not going to cut him like yeah. cut him up too hard. And he's going to be great later on in the season. You don't, you're not top 10 as a first year senior on the world cup and, and, and like deserve any like, too much trash talking, but like it, it was a disappointing weekend all around. What what can you say? And and I hope they can bounce back, but it's gonna be tough to bounce back in in uh in Norway, man. It's gonna be really tough in Little Homer on the easy course in Little Homer. They're not on the World Cup course, they're on the Bathon course, and then in Bathistone. It's it's just it, it's gonna be tough. I want to give a shout out to some of the American men though, too, because I thought like some of those guys, like it was a in some ways a, a forgettable weekend for the Americans, like Ben Ogden in 28th. That's not where you expect to see him, but like Kedersen in 31st, like Richie actually 35th in the classic race isn't that bad. But again, there's a whole country missing. <laughs> so like, yeah. you, you, got, you got to take advantage of this opportunity, I think. But uh, anyway, it was, I, I it was gotta, kind of a forgettable weekend. I, I, I got a quick question, um, which is uh, we saw Kruger looking uh, back to semi-normal Kruger self today, but he had like garbage result uh, in oh, one of the yeah. stolen races last weekend. And then, and then in this race, he was like, you know, it's like, you look at the results, you look at the results from all of Norway, uh, the Norwegian men for these three days. And it's pretty much like they have like five guys in the top seven. And then on Friday, they had one guy, uh, 
Lars Helmset was like, you know, didn't qualify. And then on, on Saturday, I think it was Kruger was like, so what's going on? Has Kruger said much? Like, have we gotten any TV coverage of that? You know what? Yeah. Like we, I've, 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 I've like, we've heard like it's been all over the media, but um, you know, Kruger won a 10 K classic in Muno with a tough yeah. field with Evo there. And like all the Norwegian, not all the Norwegians, sorry, but, uh, but a good amount of top Norwegians. So he, he really lifted his game by the stolen was a train wreck. He was, horrendous in in Kusumo in the classic race he was great in the skate race today which we'll get to but what I think is also kind of important to remember with some of these Norwegian guys is and I've been there Alex hasn't been there as much as me but he's more stable he's like an actual legend but uh, Kruger's no, it's, it's on his it's, legend says so Olympic champion all, but I'm just saying if, if, you, if you if you when you're having a bad race and you know kind of like you know how important this race is for your, you getting selected for other races and you're getting these early splits and you're trying like, like Kruger attacks out of the start and it's just not working after 3.3 to 4k. He's should he's shutting it down. He's like, it's, it's, he's like, this isn't the day. And you see it in his body language. You see how he's skiing. He's not like drooling all over himself. Like, Hey, he's not like, you can tell that Kruger is mailing it in on, on the classic race. And, it turned out to be kind of like a good idea because he had just a beastly pursuit today. Um, but still, I, I think it, like form swings a lot too. You you see uh, Sturdafa in Bidestone around thirtieth, like like yeah. just like like horrible. He had he had uh, Norwalk or whatever, not like a week before. But regardless, like like not even close. And then in the Norwegian Cup this weekend, he wins. Do you know what I mean? So things things change fast in the in period one. Early season. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, early season things change really, really fast. And if you if you trained a little too much, if you're carrying a little too much load, when you when you make that change to that like high, high, high intensity on tired on tired legs or like like a heavy load, like if you've been training like 25 hours a week for a few weeks and you, you just cut it too close to the season, man, it takes some weeks for that to digest. I and mean, Alex has felt that. We've all felt that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think that's what's going on with, with Kruger. I think that's what's going on with Kruger. You're just going to see him be a bit unstable. But I think anyone that knows anything about skiing and saw how he was attacking today and how he was skiing, I mean, they shouldn't be too worried about him moving forward. But but I, I think he just trained a little too hard coming into the season. But hey, maybe that's what it's going to make. Maybe that's the decision that's going to get him back as an individual uh, gold medal later on in the season. Or you know just win I mean? the 20K, 20K state individual in Davos. He'll be yeah, exactly, exactly, and that, yeah, 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 exactly. He's great at altitude too. He's great at altitude, yeah. and that's only a few weeks from now. So, yeah. so we'll see. But today we will try and wrap this up. I mean, yeah, the women's race was the, the women's race was awesome. Like, what, what it was amazing, and the beatdown. Yeah. Frida Carlson, like we've we've been singing the praises of Clebo. What Frida did out there? That's some yo hug shit right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like she's getting away from Ebba like that. I mean, like we saw how good Ebba is. This this year in, in Brooksvillarna and here and and the, what Frida did to that whole field was something else that was yeah. that, that was some yo-hug shit right there that was impressive. Oh, yeah. well to win a, a handicap start and get the time of the day which you know we don't put we, we've talked about about that multiple times like time of the day in a pursuit start doesn't mean yeah, who cares but no. when the winner wins time of the day that's something to like you know, talk about and yeah, dude. She put thirty-three seconds on Ebba in like three K or it was crazy. Even like that was yeah, that was really really impressive. 
Yeah, um, and, and Ebba yeah. has the fifth fastest time of the day. And yeah. I don't know why we yeah. keep talking about the time yeah. of the day because no one, everyone knows I hate time of the day and it's a yeah. stupid stat. But regardless, yeah. it's not what I'm trying to say is exactly what you're trying to say to you, Alex. It's not that Ebba had a garbage outing. Ebba no. was solid today. Just Frida was on a different level. And and some of these athletes like Klebo, like Frida, like Teresa before her, they're they're just they're just, you just got to take your hat off sometimes when these performances oh, yeah. happen and be like, I'm witnessing generational greatness. Like this was just oh, a, yeah. a beautiful well, and performance. I also would, it's like, it was Therese Johag shit, but it actually wasn't because I think, you know, Therese Johag would have like just been absolute balls to the wall from the start of this race. And yeah. Frida yeah. Carlson, like, you know, kind of ski patiently like that. And then just like absolutely drill on that last lap. I'm really mad at... I thought the guy, they have a new guy doing uh ski and snowboard, US ski and snowboard live commentary. And I thought, you know, he did a, a, a decent job, but like in the men's race, which I'm watching first, because I live in fucking Alaska where these races go on television at 3 AM and like, who's going to do that. So I watch them on tape delay. I don't watch them in sequential order. Cause I'm not going to like, who cares? I'm not going to research which one was first. I'm like, just patiently watching the men's race. And then this dude's like, Oh yeah, and then this could be just like Frida Carlson putting 15 right. seconds into Car- into uh, Eva Anderson on the last lap of the uh, of the women's race. And I'm like, dude, come on! Um, it, was, <laughs> well, it, was, it was still uh, it was still cool to watch. Yeah, but yeah, that was great. Keep going, Nat, on what you talked about with Frida. I think last year we would have seen Frida try to do what Johan does: start really hard. Try to drop her teammate. Instantly. Exactly. Yeah. But it seems like she changed a bit the way she uh, she approaches races, especially mass starts. I mean, man, the sample is so small. We have we've had one mass pursuit race so far, but still, what what I saw was impressive. But the other thing, those two girls from the beginning started putting time on the chase group, which is always hard. Like in a pursuit. To put time on the chase group, then they started slowing down a little bit and the chase group, it looked like Jesse was going to end up with, you know, time of day and then it, it swung back to Frida with that huge attack. But it was never a question, you know, after 3K, it was like, yeah, those two girls are gone. And uh, the, the the Norwegian chase group with Rosie and then Jesse later on, there was never uh, a question of them coming back to the top two because... Yeah, Frida and Abel are just on another level right now in distance. Yeah, but then again, that chase group, I thought it was just such a great dynamic. And that's what I kind of yeah. like about pursuits when mm-hmm. athletes don't care about time of day because newsflash, <laughs> they don't. Nobody cares. <laughs> when you're out racing, do they, do not, they still get money for it? Though? I don't know. Like, I have dude, no idea. I hope not. Like, it's like, ridiculous. Like, yeah, here's 50 bucks, like whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. From, from your, yeah, I from guess. Sponsors. It, it, it can yeah. be a 50,000 euro day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But but regardless, the, but the dynamics of the chase group, I loved it. I loved to see the Norwegian the Norwegians racing aggressively. Tyria Linus Wang comes away with another podium. What a great, what a great Dude, with the yellow big on her servers? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, unbelievable. Oh yeah, that's unbelievable. She's awesome. not gonna keep it for the season, no, no. but like no, dude, but... having wearing the yellow bit oh, is special. It's, it's super special. For her to medal in like a two-day event like this, uh, in the yeah. distance, it's huge. Yeah. It was really good to see. It, yeah, it was amazing. And she's putting the boots to like Heidi up that last hill, which is shocking. And I thought Heidi was good. She's really struggled this year. She had a concussion earlier this year that she's really struggled with. And it's been a tough training season. And she was really unsure of her form. Celia Tedorsen, 
like what a great race by her to come fifth, like just nipping Rosie in the, in the final there, Rosie's in six, but like Celia again, like I know the Norwegian, but we have this thing that's happening in, in, uh, and, and it's, and it's fair. I mean, there's stats to back it up, but like in Canada and in the U S to a certain degree, but Canada more, it's like, everyone's looking to like, if you haven't made these benchmarks by like 22 years old, we're like defunding you and you're done. Like we don't want to have anything to do with you. And Racers like Celia or Anna Shirsty are not the youngest. I mean, like Celia is 28 years old and she had a solid classic race to come 12th and then fifth, but don't look at like fifth is a great result. Oh my God. But how she skied like these people have a lot of experience and if they can really turn it around and get some great results and get some momentum. I mean, we talked, we had Rosie on the podcast talking about this. I mean, Rosie was the quintessential late bloomer. I mean, Rosie was sorry, Rosie. I love you, but you, you weren't very good before you were 28 years old, but you just weren't internationally. And, and um, I think it's great for the sport, but I also think it's great. And we need to remember that like, yes, Therese Johag was winning medals at the senior level as a junior. So was Frida Carlson. Claybo was a beast. Nortug was a beast. Alex was a beast. <laughs> like, even, even I had world cup medals as a 22 year old, a 23 year old. Like I, I get it, but, but we can't ignore great performances later in the career that can be have so impactful for a team. If you yeah. get Celia and Anna Shusti with their breadth of experience on the Norwegian cup, on the scan cup into a team that train hard are professional. This can make a huge impact. Celia Taylor is not on the national team. No. She, she's on, yeah. she's on a development team. She's on yeah. like the Canadian equivalent of a training center or like a, a, yeah. a pro team in the U S like a SMS yeah. style or Craftsbury yeah. style team. Like she's not on the national team even. And she's, she had a beautiful race in fifth. That's all I'm going to say about that. I, I want to say she, she could help in the relay. Like she yeah, could be totally. a skate leg on, on that relay. Totally. That, you know, like totally. can contribute to the team. Exactly. And and then KSJ, like Catherine Stewart-Jones, 20th. Amazing performance. And and you saw that she took everything out. I don't know if you I don't know if you caught her like coming in to finish or you turned it off, Alex, and got out of there. But like she looked pretty solid, like the clips I saw of her in the race. And then like coming up that last hill, halfway up that last hill, the wheels completely, <laughs> <they> completely <laughs> fell off. And she just like was rigor mortis. And yeah. that's, and that's how you got a race in period one. And she comes away at the 20th yeah. place. Oh, great, great yeah. performance. And, and a little bit of a highlight from a very forgettable first week for the Canadians. So uh, that was it's the same for Jesse last up there, yeah. oh, yeah. but she charged yeah. man from the back. Ingvel too. Ingvel like, too, dude. Ingvel. Yeah. Totally yeah. like they were in yeah. the, they were in that group and they both rigor mortis hard yeah. on that last hill. They completely came unglued, but you can't say it wasn't a great performance by both Ingveld and Jesse to make up that time and be not just yeah. not just make it back to the chase group, but be active members of that chase in group. In the front. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, in the front drilling it. Yeah. So it was, it was a great performance. I love I love the race. It's the type of efforts you need early season when you're shape, you're not in race shape yet. Those type of efforts are what gonna bring you to to the level that they aspire to be. And, totally. and I think for, for the Americans, I mean, you, you know, it definitely seemed like there were some questions after those first two days about, you know, fitness level for, for Jesse and where she was going. And even a little bit for Rosie, I mean, Rosie had a good race on Saturday, but then just to see them, you know, not just sort of hanging on for dear life in that chase pack, but both kind of taking turns at, at the front and looking pretty sharp. That was cool. It's crazy that there are questions after two races. There's like, 36 events in the season, you know, <laughs> like the international calendar. But at the same time, 
as crazy as it is, it's almost a good sign. It shows that they're at that level. Jesse and Rosie are at a level that they're expected to be in the top five every time they put the race bib on. And that's the pressure that comes with that early season when you're not ready. There are expectations. And then when you don't need them, people start freaking out. But it's a long season. And I really... Oh, and, I really showing, yeah, yeah, exactly. and you're things, showing how good. Calm down uh, people, the doubters. So, yeah, the doubters, so, the doubters and haters got to calm down. I agree because yeah. Jesse, what she yeah. did today looked great, and Rosie had a solid weekend. It's going to be good. It's going to be so, super good. Top 10, so, so we got to go to this race that was um, scripted in the like deep in the recesses of Marty Hall's brain to, for like poetic satisfaction of international ski race recaps on the Devin Kershaw show, which is the men's race today because that just was like. I don't know. I I feel, almost feel like we should have led off with with I that know. race because it's it's just it's so good. It's so it's good. so good. It's so good. And I'm just gonna like bury the lead because I'm super pissed. I'm still pissed. It's like late at night. I've got a cold. I've got to like get my butt to school tomorrow. Here's the deal. Fist. If you want me to rant about fist, I'm going to. What in God's name are you doing disqualifying Callie Halverson? If if you are not allowed to cross the midline of that last can, hill, can we give a quick recap of like? Okay, I, I do okay. want like sure. people I'll to be, understand sure, sure, sure. what happened here. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll give a quick recap. Claybo opens like we talked about earlier in this podcast. Claybo's opening. It looks like he's going like zone half, like zone one, but he's he's taking the chase pack like quite a bit of time. To I don't I don't need I don't need like full. I just want to know like but, we're talking about this Halverson being disqualified. Like, can, okay, can just okay, give people okay. the Here's context what happened. for Here's that. You have a you have a quite a big group coming in, like quite a big group. Nine guys. You have nine guys coming down the final climb of the twenty of the twenty k, battling it out for the gold. You know it's over before it starts because Claybo's going to win. That's that's the given. But it was really exciting. You had nine men going balls to the wall up a quite a, that classic steep hill in Kusumo, long steep climb before the final four hundred meters of flat to the finish. It takes a lot of space. And the problem is the way the course is, is you have a descent and that going down that same slope on the right-hand side when you're starting and when you're coming up the hill, like it's, it's on the other side. Normally, or they have had in the past, V-boards. We own V-boards. V-boards exist. They usually, or in the past, they have put V-boards to separate the downhill section and the uphill section. Today, there was no V-boards. There was Brussels, like bristles in the snow. And Alex spruce, and it, spruce yeah, trims. yeah, like pine boughs kind of thing. Pine boughs, but they were like synthetic or whatever. Alex can attest to this because we've played fast and loose with this before too. If it's pine boughs, the, the rules state, if it's pine boughs, you can cross them. You can look for the fast note. You can look for the fast note. Yeah. Yeah. You do what you want with when it's pine boughs. If it's a V-board and your ski goes on the other side of the V-board, you will be disqualified 100%. Same with tracks. If if there's classic tracks, like sometimes they do a classic and skate kind of on the same thing. And then it can be like discussed in the in the team meeting. Like today, it's narrow. We don't have much snow. If you are skating over the classic tracks, you will be disqualified. Okay, cool. Like, you, you know that. Callie Halverson had an amazing race. He was third. He should have been third in this race. He pulled out way wide on that hill. He his skis did cross the pine boughs into the descent. So there was did some they tone sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, coming down the hill, there was some hacker that should have been lapped. That you know, and like Callie did 
it was a little close. Like Cali and that hacker could have like collided and it would have been bad because that hill's fast and you're going like 60K an hour. But the fact of the matter is this, if you don't want people cutting into a dangerous descent, you put some fucking B-boards there so athletes know they won't cross it. If you're going to put B-boards and Cali is like totally pinned, he's like seeing double, everyone's going just ballistic. Cali sees an opening, he takes it, and he ends up finishing third with like a great sprint. Like he's out sprinting. He's so out of position. Out sprints he's so far back at the base. Yeah, yeah he's, 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 yeah, he was, he was, he had a beast of a climb and he was completely out of position. The guy was third. And that fact that this disqualifies him, do a better job. Whoever the chief of course was there, no excuses. B-boards. If you don't want people cutting B-boards, it's not enough. It is not enough to have a team meeting or like talk about the coaches or send a text like, oh, the pine boughs today are actually V-boards. No, 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 no. <laughs> not good enough. Because Cali's raced on the World Cup for a thousand years and pine boughs are always able to be crossed. You can't change the rules at the last second. Just put some goddamn B-boards if you don't want that to happen. I'm, I'm pissed so, about it. It's ridiculous. So I, so I got to say, I mean, I, I think I agree with Devin. It's like you can't have a rule and then just sort of be like, oh, yeah, today the rule doesn't really apply. Like, I agree this is like a bullshit decision. That being Hold said, on. like the soap opera nature of this, where like they they end the race, it's like Kyle Halferson wins. Like I shut the third, computer third, down. He's third. Or, or sorry, yeah, third, third. Thank you. Yeah. I shut the computer down. I start looking through the results and it says Federico Pellegrino third. And I'm like, oh boy, what happened? So then I like, and it says he's disqualified. So then I reopen it. They like, I don't know if you guys saw this. They had, they were taking shots. Like they had a camera angle into the jury room where like the jury was meeting and then Kala is in there like a like a 12 year old in a principal's office just like he's look he has this like look on his face and there's a Swedish coach in there and he's just kind of like shaking his head and then and then they disqualify him and then and then and then Kala goes out like to the mix zone and completely just absolutely trashes the jury you know so oh, yeah they're, they're a bunch of like amateur rookies they, they're they're trying they want italians on the podium instead of Sweden. <laughs> i saw that too. and that, so yeah. like and so he just like goes out there and completely goes nuclear which i i you know i mean totally in in keeping yeah. with him as the super villain of this podcast so i mean all in all <laughs> i just like i'm lying there in my bed this morning watching this reading this stuff being like i cannot wait till we get on the podcast but yeah i mean i think overall i i do also just really quickly before we get into too much else I want to pour one out for um, my man, Federico Pellegrino in this race, who, who just like, dude, I think just his, his wife, Greta Laurent um, just had a baby. So like, he's raising like a, a, a tiny kid right now. And, and he's a sprint specialist, world champion jumps in a 20 K in yeah, on, like, a pretty hard course where by all oh, yeah. means like that guy should be dropped, especially if he's like, you know, in this world of raising an infant and like not resting well, but all of a sudden he's like leveled up his distance racing and just his positioning actually in that, in that um, final stretch of the course, like he's putting himself right where he wants to be to set himself up for that finishing sprint and doesn't, doesn't have it to be callous should have been fourth, probably should have been eighth with, you know, Bolshunov and 20 Russians in there. But I just like, I loved that, yeah. like seeing a guy break through like that, that, that really, that made my day. Yeah, no, for sure. It didn't it's good to see. And I, I talked a bit briefly about it, but distance sprinters at one point of their career have to start switching to distance training if they want to still be at the top. Just because it, it's it's nature, you do slow down naturally. And Pellegrino was 
you know, we've seen him hitting, flirting with the top 10 every now and then lately. So obviously his training has been switched into distance training a little more. So it was great to see him finishing, you know, on the podium. But realistically, you know, just being top five is, is really impressive in a 20K skate race. When the pace was just ballistic from the, you know, if we're talking about the chase group, like Holland was skiing like a madman out of the gate. Uh, so, you know, you saw Emil getting dropped quite early in the race. Valnes just like yo-yoing. Uh, so, yeah, it was it would have been hard for Pellegrino to stay in the group. So the fact that he did and was able to land in the top five or unofficially on the podium or whatever we can, the way we can talk about it. But my, my critic goes to, you know, or the my negative point goes more to the Holland, man. Like he pushed so hard for the first two thirds of the race. And then the last lap, he had nothing on that big hill. Just like wait, you cannot burn, you can burn so many matches in a race, right? Just wait for the last third of the race and then put those efforts in. Like it's men's racing. Yeah, the uphill is hard, but you know the guy, the guys will come back in the next downhill and on the flat. Just save your energy in the first half of the race. Start raising the speed a little bit, and then the last third of the race, start attacking if you want to. If you want to have a chance to be on the podium, because man, for him finishing eighth for Holland, it's who cares about finishing eighth? He, he had a real chance of of being, you know, on the podium had he had he uh, played his cards a bit differently, and. Last thing, Musgrave, good to see him. Six, top 10. Uh, the Germans, it was a different guy this time, but Mark in the top 10. Like, the, you know, the result list with two Swedes, not only one in the top 10, but one Italian, one British, one German in the top 10. Like, it's not as bad as I would have expected prior to the first weekend. I thought the top 10 would be eight Norwegians, one Swede, one Finnish guy. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it's not as bad as, as it could have been. Uh, given the fact that the Russians aren't there. Uh, but yeah, Poland has to play his cards differently. It's it's not going to work in, in men's racing. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think I think what's tough too with Holland is, I mean, he's like, Holland's a total beast. I mean, you saw how he, you were in the race. Like you saw he won the 50K in, in Seyfeld at the World Championships. And then to see him win the World Championship 15K in Oberstdorf in hard conditions like that was like, he. we know he's got a VO2 max, like the, the likes of not many have seen. Um, but when you're surrounded by these young guys with no experience, like Porama or Stenshagen, you know, especially Porama and Stenshagen and Pellegrino, Pellegrino has a lot of experience, but not as much experience at the sharp end of distance races. Like we said, it's not for you. You don't have to pick up that load, man. Not at 3k, not at 4k. Like you can wait till 15K and then just like drop the hammer like Claybo did in the classic race the day before and like Frida did in the women's race on the last lap. It, it, I agree with you, Alex. Like the fact that he was still eighth, like that just shows how, what his capacity is. I mean, like his, his VO2 is just out of, out of his world. But Holland, definitely a tactical error. And when you're a, dis, when you're, when you're a older athlete, with the Palmares that Holland has, and everyone knows that you have the engine, you that's when you need to have the patience to go like, no, the young kids can act the fool. And when I go, it's going to be to the line. I'm not just going to be burning matches all over town. When I hammer, then it's like, hold on to your hat. Then it's like Seyfeld. 
Like it, it's not because the conditions are completely different. But do you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. like, and I, 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 I totally agree with you. Like, how many clips of Poland do we see? Like, he's just, he's just grilling it, looking like a total champ. And there's like he's stringing everyone out. Like everyone's just wrecked oh, yeah. behind him. But it just, it just, it's early season. It wasn't enough. And you see, like you said, Alex, eighth place, but he's only five seconds back. I mean, he, he was there, but he yeah. didn't play his cards effectively enough. Because the thing is, top, top, top three. The thing is, or top three might be tough, but like yeah. higher up in the results list anyway. Because even when we're saying like Playbo looks like he's going zone three in the race or whatever, you're still spending energy. You're still building lactate. So even if the pace is slow for 10K, and Holland doesn't take a single pull, by the time you reach that 10K point, everybody's somewhat fatigued. So the impact of your attack at 10K, even if the pace was easy, is going to be way better and way bigger than the impact of an attack at 3K or at zero, which is basically what he did. So you just wait for, even if the pace is slow, wait for the guys to build up a little bit of fatigue, then you go. And that's your best chance to make a difference. And well, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe you end up fifth or out of the podium, but at least you played your cards well. And I guess I have one today. question. I have one question about that, having watched that race, which was like, was that chase pack gonna catch Clybo without Toneset drilling the, the pace like that? Holland, Holland drilling the pace. The fact that not, yeah, not sorry. Didrick, did, did, yeah. but Didrick had a great race in the Norwegian Cup. Uh, but but he, here's the thing. He, here's the thing. 100% they would because Claybo never had a plan to stay out in front because like he can win by staying out in front. Sure. Dangle me out front. I'll win or catch me. I'm going to win anyway. It's like Nortug at his best. You know what I mean? It's like, do whatever you want. I'm winning no matter what. And um, so, but the fact of the matter is, would they have caught Claybo so quickly? No, no, probably like absolutely not because we all saw how Holand was skiing. I mean, like he was beasting, <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter when you catch Claybo. Like it, yeah. it doesn't matter. And and honestly, in the shape that Claybo's in, he's 26 years old with 51 World Cup victories. <laughs> it, catch Claybo, don't catch Claybo. The writing was on the wall before before this 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 weekend yeah. got going really. Like Claybo is just at a higher level. But I, this is this is great. And Porama too, I think on the on the opposite, just to, to, to like counteract it, Porama raised like a hole and should have raced. Yeah, and raced like a thirty-year-old. Like he, like 30, he raced like a thirty-year-old. The twenty-one-year-old raced like a thirty-year-old yeah. by keeping it together, <laughs> and 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 just like again, like I keep harping on the technique, but like such a high position and not spending energy all over the track. It, it's you do not see twenty-one-year-old ski like that. Huh. It's really impressive for men. And obviously, like, yeah, obviously was great. Lasting the pack yeah. all day. Yeah, you, I know. Good. You no, know, it's men's racing. There's ten yeah. guys. Yeah. There are eight or nine guys trying to catch Claybo. Let the others do the work. It's skating yeah. too. Like yeah. if somebody somehow, if one end gets dropped, you slowly get around him and then you go back to the end of the pack. That's how you do it. Pellegrino did the same. Yeah, Those are the guys who were the next best after the, the two guys who are in sh crazy shape. Right now. I, so. uh, I wanted to really quickly uh, just give Scott Patterson a chapeau oh, who skied oh, yeah. a, a really solid race. Like it looked like he skied most of the race with Simon Kruger, like all oh, the way yeah. up to the finish line. I thought that was really impressive. And then I also 
just wanted to emphasize again, I know you kind of touched on it, Devin, but um, Emil Everson just like having a pretty rough start to the season. And I mean, after just like a brutal end to last year too. And it's like the the fact that that guy's like still showing his face is like, I'm kind of like, you know what, like good for, good for Emil Everson for just like, he's still going, you know, because it's just got to be like taking that kind of a beating, like, like in races and then having to like go through the mix zone and deal with it press and like show up back at your like hometown like that's just it's got to be rough it's and super tough big, and i think he's a big he's name a, man. he's a big he's a like, huge he's name a, he's a big star in Norway. like with, yeah like he, he he has amazing results but there are other guys who have just as good of results as him or even bigger better results than him but they're not as big of a personality or they yeah feel like is a big deal in Norway. so it's it's got to be hard for him to to have those bad result but at the same time he's such a chill guy and laid back guy like i think he's going to be able to just like toss it and find find a way to perform but he's one of the guys that like he's had amazing results in crucible in the past like he usually starts the season well so it's uh it is a bit concerning i would say uh for him right now but he's such a good like skier boat like you know on this on the track but outside the track mentally, I think he's able to, to find the right headspace to perform. So I think he'll, he'll, he'll get it back, but it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a hard couple of weeks. Yeah. I think, I think, and, and in closing with that, like ML where it's going to really matter is you have a 20 K classic this weekend in, in Lillehammer. They switched the ski to a 20 K classic mass start on a flat course, like on, on a, on a, like on a bathlon course with like no real, like, like it's, it's a defanged, course it, it's 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 a completely unexciting course the little hammer race course kind of sucks now compared to what it usually is because of some lack of snow and some tough some tough uh conditions it's the same course they used last year it's a little longer some small changes but regardless so emil has to bounce back and he has to bounce back quickly because on paper this 20k classic on a fairly light course this is like emil everson's on the podium 100 percent of the time i mean like it's it's tailor-made for him and so we'll have to see what we'll have to see how we can turn it around. But I I never envy any Norwegian yeah. early season that's struggling because, like Alex said, you have a bad race and it's not just like your coach or your girlfriend or your your club's like, whoa, what happened? It's like it's it's like nonstop with your phone exploding with media, and then you wake up and it's hard to avoid national newspapers saying should we give other guys a chance? Like, are we kind of done with Emily Everson kind of thing? It's not just like a rumor that's, that's being like circulated in some random sauna and some tiny little place. Like, no, this is, this is happening out in the, in the public eye. And that's hard to deal with when you have to bounce back for next weekend. And like Alex said, though, if anyone can do it, it's Emil. And he's got the, he's got the opportunity of a lifetime coming up in Little Hummer. If he misses that opportunity in the 20 K classic, then it's then, then, then honestly, I think it's pack them up till Norwegian nationals. Cause I don't think he'll get the chances. I don't think there's too many good Norwegians. So he's got to do it next weekend in Lillehammer. It's going to be tough. I, I just, and we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about Paul Goldberg, but dude, oh. skate right? Like Goldberg, yeah. anytime, if you say classic, whether it's 50 or one fifty k or one K I'm hundred percent behind him being on the podium, but dude, second 20 K skating. Oh, with yeah. a big uphill at the finish. Oh yeah. Goldberg is on right now. Impressive. He's on for sure. And you know what else I think is even cooler? Like I heard from Arald. Arald's been saying that like Paul's made a big leap in his skating. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> Paul is like 
in his 30s like i mean like, yeah. and he, and like you said in classic he's just got the palmares and and, and just the, the solidness he's been so solid he's been okay in sprinting and stuff and skating but i'm just like yeah. come on he's made a big leap as like at his age in skating like big enough that we're going to start like crying about he's 32 years old like yeah. don't don't tell me he's like made a huge leap in skate but you know what yeah you know Arl love him or hate him the guy's right a lot of the time i mean there's no better yes. coach on paper and like yeah. all look good technically too it wasn't just his speed yeah, yeah. he he did make a big Arl's right yeah. all did make a big big difference in skating yeah. yeah um two two really quick things that i missed mentioning here before we sign off one is um masako ishida of japan is oh my god still racing still into the top 20 at age 42 i love that there's hope for me i've got seven more years um, there's no and then, that's insane <laughs> and then uh and then second thing um i uh shared one thing with evo niskanen this week uh that was not phenomenal aerobic capacity i had COVID. i spent a lot of time lying on the couch and looking at social media um turn on the solomon nordic instagram page their stuff this week i don't know if you guys saw that like it was hilarious they and they had like really fun like videos like i don't know who's running their social media but like they had really fun videos like behind the scenes like with like dolphus and shapaz and then yesterday they were like following this wax tech who i think is a former yes. athlete uh, roddy, roddy Darragon, and he was like they followed him all around it just it was hilarious i don't know like solomon's like a big company they're owned by like anta the huge like chinese conglomerate and and i've heard they've been kind of like rough to work with but like just it was like organic human stuff like check that stuff out it was it was really great just kind of a little joyful i think it's marty Yilhan. yeah i was just gonna say two names yeah, two, two words marty yila yeah. the guy is a riot marty yila okay. is he's like a total riot like the guy is yeah. he's outrageous and yeah. and i agree with you he's he's really hitting it he's really hitting the nail on the head because they are that i mean we alex alex is like mr solomon but i have a great relationship with solomon and i've had Career. I love the guys. They've always had great people working for them throughout the whole, my whole career and uh, their staff that they have is great. And the fact that, like you said, Nat, that that's all I'm able to, to, to kind of highlight that kind of behind the scenes stuff. That is what the sport needs. That, 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 that's what the sport needs. It's better coverage than like, you know, they're yeah. doing on television. Oh yeah. It's better than it's yeah, 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 sure. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's Marty Yilha. It's Marty Yilha, like probably like two beers deep and like 10 yeah. espressos, like news, snooze stuff, like just around and he's like, but never forget, dude, Marty Yilha, we're the same age. He was world junior champion. My, uh, the first time I was on the podium and he's from Finland. So you'd expect him to wear like the Finnish national team jacket on the podium. Oh, he wore a quick step world champion cycling jersey on the podium. <laughs> I mean, we were at world junior, but it kind of shows the personality. He's a great guy. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, maybe I, maybe like we should have ours like burnt. It's like that one. Oh yeah, that picture, like that picture that you showed me. Like, I mean, I, that's like burned into my. I, like, should, that, uh, that just, it's, it's quintessential Martiella. It's awesome. He's got to come he's, on. The, he's, 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 he's smiling up, like his smile is up to here. Same for me. And you have Alexei Polterinen who's bummed out because he was sad. So that's. <laughs> he's got to. Yeah. He's got to come on the Devin Kershaw show. That's uh, yeah, 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 he should, he should get him. He's uh, oh, yeah, yeah, he's a good. Show. He would for sure. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Alex. I really appreciate you right. taking the time, and I really got to get to bed. So uh, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> All right. Ciao. Thanks for talking shit. Yep. Enjoy. Bye. We'll see you next week after Little Hummer. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.